It's so good to have everybody in the room, everybody online. If we haven't met, my name is Brian, one of the pastors here at Northern Hills. And I kind of had an interesting experience a couple months ago. I was at an arcade, and I noticed one of the infamous arcade games that I think everybody would recognize. It's The Claw. You guys know The Claw? This game where you have to move the little lever and perfectly line up this little contraption so it'll go down and pull out the prize. At this point, it was like these little teddy bears. And I noticed this guy at the claw with his kid. And they were all excited. This kid's like, Dad, I want a bear. I want a bear. Get me a bear. Dad's like, all right, I will get you a bear. All right, hero dad coming in. And so they're all excited. He's starting to put the quarters in. And you see it because the claw gets so close and just grabs it. And then it falls out, right? And you're like, oh, so close. And so they're so excited. This kid's like jumping up and down with glee, like, I'm going to get my bear. And you notice after a couple reps of this, the excitement started to fade a little bit. And it started to turn into a little bit of frustration and desperation um, for both the dad and the child. Because you see this dad starting to just cram quarters into this machine, paying $40 for a $1 bear. Um, And the kids just, eyes starting to get super nervous, realizing all of his hopes and dreams might not become a reality here with this little contraption. I couldn't help myself but think in that moment, boy, isn't that a perfect metaphor for life? Because sometimes you are trying to line up your life perfectly so you can just get down and pull out the things that you're hoping to get out of life. And it just barely slips out of our grasp so many times. We don't ever quite get the things we are just hoping for in life. Now, I wish the stakes were only as high as a little claw game at an arcade, right? If only the stakes were that high. I was walking around my neighborhood a little while back and I run into one of our neighbors and I'm like, hey, how's it going, man? And what I noticed was he had a fanny pack on full of cores just walking around the neighborhood. And I was like, well, that's a little different on on a Tuesday afternoon. And um, I was like, so what's going on, man? He's like, dude, we are paying $2,000 a month for childcare. My wife just got off furlough, but found out she's been making 25% less than what she was making. We're just tossing our kids between Zoom meetings. He's like, I can't keep up with all of these things we need to figure out. On that same walk home, I ran into a woman in our neighborhood, and I I just checked in. I said, how are you doing? And she said, honestly, Brian, this has been a really hard year. She said, we have had two miscarriages already this year alone. And she said, we so desperately want to have a child, and we're talking to doctors, and the tests aren't really finding anything. And she said, I just fear that I'm putting my family through a lot of just maybe even unnecessary drama and pain and disappointment. I just, I just don't know what to do about it. I think we've all had this experience. Life feels like a claw that doesn't quite grab the things we're hoping it's going to grab. And this morning, we are starting a whole new series, everybody, simply called Be Encouraged. Now, it's funny because when we plan these series, sometimes we like to try to get a little hook to kind of get to the heart of what we're trying to do. And as we were doing all these planning meetings, Tempe, our communications director, she's like, you know what? Let's just make this as clear and obvious as possible. We don't need cute, clear. Be encouraged. That's what we want you guys to have out of the series. That's it. So it's very straightforward. But here's the premise, because I want you guys to know the heart of this. There's no shortage of opportunities to get discouraged in life. All you have to do is check the news once, and that can bring you down a couple levels. You can open one email and be discouraged. Can we, can we have a real moment? You can just take a brief glance in the mirror sometimes and just feel a little bit discouraged, all right? Can I, I hear a little amen from some people on that one? Now, something I've noticed is 
Even Christians, people would say they're followers of Jesus and they have all this hope, slip into many of the same discouragement cycles and patterns as anybody else. And on one level, that makes perfect sense. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean your life is automatically just going to be easy and just work out fine. But on another level, you do have to wonder, should Christians have a different experience of this life based on some of the things Christians believe and some of the things they say? And what I'm getting at is actually this passage that we're going to be in today. Because Paul says something that is absolutely dramatic when you think of how high of a bar it sets. So look at this in 2 Corinthians 4.16. Paul says this, Therefore, we do not lose heart. We do not give up. We do not become discouraged. We do not become jaded about this life. There is a bar that Paul sets that sounds unrealistically high to me on some level. And when he's talking about the heart, he's talking about just the center of your being, your emotional, spiritual core. Now, you can lose a lot of stuff, right? You lose your keys, very frustrating, right? Really annoying. Uh, you lose your phone. Hate when that happens, right? It is not a fun experience. You lose your wallet. Extremely inconvenient. But in the grand scheme of things, these are just truly minor inconveniences from the greater perspective. Am I right? And yet at the same time, many of us know this, there are experiences and circumstances that we face that start to chip away at our souls. And you can find yourself losing heart. Now, this is actually a very dangerous thing. When you start to lose heart, you start to lose a sense of purpose for your life. When you start to lose heart, you start to wonder what's even the point. When you start to lose heart, this is when you make momentary decisions that have permanent consequences in your life. When you start to lose heart, you start to drift away from the purposes of God for your life. This is not a small thing. And so I'm curious even today, if we were to take a heart checkup on ourselves here, what's the state of your heart right now? Where are you at when it comes to the situation going on in your own soul? Now, I'm wondering, there's probably some people there, you're doing good. You're in a good season. Things are great. You might need this for later. But I'm willing to bet there's some of us in this room where you'd say, you know, Brian, if I were to take a heart check right now, I'm actually kind of on low at this moment. And so we have to ask the question, how do you experience what Paul is talking about? Is it possible to even get to a point in your life when you can say, I don't lose heart? I have an infinite source of encouragement and strength in my life that can cause me to persevere through any situation towards God's purposes in my life. That's the question we're asking today, and we're going to dig in. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians 4.16, and I see the first thing that Paul really challenges us with here is press into the process. You guys are going to like me today. I got, I got points. I got notes. I'm making it nice and easy for you guys today. Not like any of you are taking notes right now. You know, not, nobody cares, okay? Work so hard on these sermons. Nobody's taking notes. I know you guys online are. But here's the thing. Press in the process. 2 Corinthians 4.16. This is what Paul says. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. So first Paul mentions this outward wasting away experience. Now, I want to know if anybody is like me in this. One of my favorite things to do, sometimes you get home late at night, maybe it's from a work thing or whatever, and it's too late for dinner, right? But you can't wait till the next day to eat. You got to get something to eat. So what's the best late night thing to eat right before going to bed? 
bowl of cereal. Ram, no, not ramen. I heard cereal. We're going with the cereal one. That was a good one, though. I got some people. I heard you. I heard you. It's my cereal people. Where you at, right? Now, Cinnamon Toast Crunch, the Lord's cereal. In Jesus' name, right? None of that kicks garbage or cornflakes. Some of you health eaters. No, Cinnamon Toast Crunch is where it's at. And so I love getting home. You pour a, pour a big bowl of cereal. You pour all that milk in and you take your first bite. And the worst thing that can possibly happen is you spit that nasty first bite out because what happened? The milk went nasty, right? There is nothing more disappointing than that first bite. And that milk is gross. Now you ruined the whole bowl of cereal. And now you got no milk in the house because nobody eats dry cereal. That's weird. Don't do that. It needs milk. It's a terrible experience. And here's the thing. Milk tastes like that eventually because it has an expiration date, right? Well, you know what Paul is saying? We have an expiration date. There is a dynamic of decomposition to the human life. And many of us, you experience this every day because you take one step down that flight of stairs and your knee is tweaking out the rest of the day, right? Some of you, come on, moment of confession. You take the garbage out and your back hurts you the rest of the week. It's just a real experience. I don't care who you are. There is not enough Botox in the world to save you. Eventually, gravity and time is going to win. I had a very disheartening experience a little while back. Nicole and I are just hanging out in the house, and she, she just kind of stops. And she starts getting, like, really reflective. She's, like, in really deep thought. And I'm wondering, like, what is about to happen in this moment? Like, what... What's the deal here? And she's like, you know what? We should take some of the hair from your chest and put it on your head. Pray for us. Pray for my family. These are the conversations we have in my household. It's just, it's ridiculous. Now, here's what I'm getting at. Paul, he's not trying to be cynical. He's not even trying to be negative. He is just being realistic about our human existence. There is a sagging to the human experience. There is a sin and brokenness dynamic for all of us. This is how the Bible talks about it. And things just go into decomposition. They have an expiration date. And yet, even though that's true, Paul says this, yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. So there's this interesting paradox right now. Even though our skin starts to sag over time, Paul makes this case that there's actually a spiritual renewal and rejuvenation in the life of a Christian. And this isn't just getting things back to how they were. He is talking about something that actually starts to grow and vitalize and improve over time in our lives. This amazing renewal process. Now, a little while back, I had a good friend come up to me. He said, Brian, I want to hook you and Nicole up. I want to pay for it. You guys go on a nice date. All right, you guys just take care of yourselves. So I'm like, all right, all right. So me doing the good husband thing, I'm like, babe, what do you want to do? Right? Good husband points, score some points there. And so Nicole, you know what she says? She says, I want to get a couple's massage. Now you need some context here because some of you guys are like, that sounds like a great idea. No, that's a terrible idea. That is a horrible date idea because I don't want some stranger rubbing their nasty hands into my back while I'm in a vulnerable position facing the floor. Is anybody with me on this? Am I the only one who feels this way? It's a strange experience. And so I'm like, all right, I love her. So we're going to go do this couple's massage. And so we're sitting in the waiting room and they try to make it this very relaxing environment. There's a waterfall going and all this calm music. And the whole time I'm like, I want to be anywhere but this place. This is terrible. I am not relaxed right now. And I half 
jokingly told Nicole, but I was 100% serious when I said this. I said, babe, if I see two men walk out that door to come do our massage, I'm going to be frustrated. Now, before you judge me, just understand something. I don't want some random stranger dude digging his hands into my wife's naked back, all right? I'm not okay with that. And just generally speaking, I'd rather have a male doctor, but I'd probably rather have a female masseuse. I don't want some random guy rubbing his hands into my back. So sure enough, we're sitting there and the doors swing wide open and the glory of heaven is shining through these doors. And who walks out these doors? The most dudish dudes you could ever imagine in your life. Brian and Nicole, of course I have to act happier. Oh yes, this is us. And to make things even worse, Nicole's guy looks like Fabio. He's got this long, thick hair. I had a crush on him just looking at him. I'm like, this is how this is going on. My guy looked like George Costanza. That was my guy. So I'm just mad about the whole experience. And we're laying down doing this massage. And my guy, he just gets after it, okay? I don't know if because I was a man, he thought I could handle it or something. So he is just digging in there. I am screaming inside of my head, not enjoying a second. He's like, he's like, how does that feel? And I'm not to be some chump and complain to this guy and be like, you're hurting me. No, I can take this. I'm like, it feels great, even though I feel like I'm going to die. So I pushed through this whole 60-minute couples massage. It was terrible on every level. And we get out, and Nicole's like, okay, so how do you honestly feel? I took mom, I was like, I actually feel pretty good. I feel pretty amazing, actually, right now. It feels like a total transformation. And what I'm getting at with this is just like these dudes getting their hands all up in our backs, Paul is saying, God is pressing his hands into your soul in a day-by-day process to bring about renewal and transformation in your own life. Now, what's crazy about this, same letter, just a little earlier, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord. That is quite a statement right there. Speaking to this unbelievable work happening inside your soul that God is working out. And yet, it's a process, right? Paul says, day by day, this process happens. I'm willing to guess, there's probably some people in this room where you, you would say, if I took a snapshot of my life right now, it is not what I would want it to be. It's not where I would want it to be. I am not perfectly satisfied in my situation. Can anybody give me a witness on that? You would say that, right? It's just real life. And yet my other hope would be this. If you are somebody who has been walking with Jesus for any length of time, even if you may feel that way right now in this moment, I would hope that you would say, even though this isn't where I want to be, I am definitely not where I was. And God has taken me on a journey over the years of real transformation. I don't even recognize myself, actually, from years ago. Some of you guys need to tell the person next to you, you should have seen me 10 years ago, all right? You think this is bad. I've made a lot of progress, all right? That's the point of this whole thing. I want you to understand, though, this is an important thing to understand when it comes to the Christian life. Philippians 1.6, another letter Paul wrote, speaking of the same idea. He says, being confident of this. Again, this is a conviction for the Christian life, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So this is important. Paul talks about this good work. Now, 
the first moment of this good work in your life is that moment of salvation. When you place your faith in Jesus, that is a salvation work. It is a good work. You have the hope of heaven. Your sins are forgiven. It's amazing. But it doesn't stop there. Then there is a process that is called sanctification. It is the daily growth process in your spiritual life as you are becoming more and more like God and the person he designed you to be. And this is the promise we have from Paul, that God is going to see through this process to completion. He's going to make sure you become that person he made you to become. Some of you, you need to be encouraged today. God will make sure this happens in your life. Some of us today you got to loosen up a little bit, all right? So you guys are very uptight about your lives. You just need to stop for a second and just relax and remind yourself, man, God is actually the one working this process out. He's the one taking the lead on it. And I'm not saying it's not hard and you have to press in sometimes. Sometimes it hurts. It's work. But at the same time, we have this amazing promise that God is going to facilitate the whole thing. I had this moment the last week and a half. I was in Dallas for a pastor's gathering and just a cool relationship we're building that I'll be able to talk about in a couple weeks. And at one point in this event, we were honoring this pastor who is retiring from the ministry 40 years at the same church. Faithful, amazing. Now, these are not the stories that end up on the front page of the newspaper, everybody, but they happen, all right? Pastors do finish well. And what was interesting about this is... This man, you know, he's in his 70s by now, and there was less hair. There were thicker glasses. He was moving a little slower. But there was this compelling, beautiful radiance about this guy. He just was overflowing with just this joy and this hope. He even had this beautiful sense of humor. And just looking at that, just reflecting, I realized, I'm like, oh my goodness, this guy has been pressing into the process for over 60 years. For decades, he has been walking with God and allowing God to work out his soul. And now he is experiencing all these wonderful benefits of the work of Jesus in his life. And it will even continue into eternity. So today, you need to know. You need to press into this process, everybody. God is working it out day by day, moment by moment. He is digging his hands into your soul and he's going to make sure you are transformed into this beautiful, glorious picture of even who he is. And it will not waste away. It will not sag. It will continue even when Jesus returns. Press into the process. Good stuff. Good stuff. I know. Now let's go on to the second point. Step on the scale. Now some of you guys are like, oh no, we ain't stepping on nothing, Brian. I that is not what we're doing, actually. Now, track with me right now, all right? Go on the journey with me. Verse 17, let's stay in the passage. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Now, I stop for him. I say, I say, light and momentary troubles. If you don't know the life of Paul, the last thing I would say about his life is that it was light and momentary. Okay, this guy was beaten multiple times in his life to the point of almost death. He was imprisoned for years of his life. He was stoned almost to death multiple times. Not the fun Colorado stoned, like real rocks being thrown at your head, all right? This is real stuff, everybody. Shipwrecked, starved multiple times. And ultimately, again, if you don't know the story, Paul was beheaded in Rome for being a follower of Jesus. Now, 
If I'm thinking of Paul's life, the words that are coming to mind are not light and momentary. That sounds like a pretty hard life to me. That sounds difficult. Now, let's do a little mental exercise here. How do you know if something's really heavy? How do you know if something's weighty? Now, one level, probably what you're thinking is, well, if I can't lift it up, Brian, it's heavy, right? Now, what's interesting about that idea, though, is what might be heavy to me may not be heavy to you. You know, we might have some bodybuilders in the room here. You can lift a lot of weight. You can handle a lot. So it kind of depends on the situation. Now, let me push this idea a little bit more. Let's pretend we put a scale on the stage here that weighs two things against each other. Now, if I put a whale on one side of the scale, is that heavy? Well, if you put a dog on the other side of the scale, yes, it's going to launch that thing into the universe, right? Totally different weight class. Now, here's the thing. What if I got a whale on one side, but I put a planet on the other side of the scale? Is that whale heavy anymore? No, that thing's going to get launched into the stratosphere as well. So truly, at the end of the day, the only way you know the true weight of something is based on what it's compared to. You need a point of reference to to determine the weight of something. And Paul here is talking about spiritual and emotional weight in our lives. Troubles, hardships, things that weigh us down. And he says there are many troubles that we would consider extreme. But he says it all depends on what's on the other side of the scale. That really determines the true weight. And what Paul says is for him, on the other side of his scale of all of his troubles, is an eternal glory that he says far outweighs them all. And so he says, when I look at my present circumstances and I weigh them against all of the promises of God in my life, it is like putting a feather on one side and a skyscraper on the other. It totally outweighs anything and everything I could possibly face. That's incredible. Now, you may not have noticed this little word here, But this changes the whole understanding of how we even experience our own troubles. He said these troubles are achieving for us this glory. Just let that sit in for a moment. Paul is making a case that your hardships, your troubles, they're not just meaningless suffering that you need to white-knuckle through and survive— It's not just this random, pointless stuff from bad luck or unfortunate circumstances. Paul is saying, no, God is actually using the very troubles in your life to accomplish his eternal glory and purposes in and through you. They serve a critical function in his work in your life. And so what you need here today is that all of the pain and suffering in this life is a drop of water in the ocean of God's eternal glory that he's working out in you. That's what Paul's saying right here. Now, I have to pause because as good as that may sound, I know if some of us are real honest right now in the room, you would say, yeah, Brian, that sounds nice, but Paul doesn't know my life. All right, he didn't live through my experiences. He's not going through this divorce. He didn't get that diagnosis. I am being crushed by the weight of my troubles. He can call them light and momentary, but they are crushing me. If we were really honest, 
That's how we feel. Now, there's a woman in my family that we all affectionately refer to as Auntie Jory. Now, Auntie Jory has had an interesting life. She's suffered from clinical depression on a very extreme level. She's gone through addiction in a lot of different ways, and it's been a very, very rough go in so many ways. It's, it's been heavy. It's been weighty. And yet there was a moment in my Auntie Jory's life when she actually had an encounter with Jesus. Like she, she became a Christian. She had this experience. And you wouldn't have noticed much day by day, but as you looked through the seasons and years of her life, you started to see this renewal process going on inside of her. It, it was noticeable. Something real was happening. And it was a couple of years ago in the month of September when my Auntie Jory goes to the doctor's office for just a regular checkup. And they said, oh, we got to run some more tests. And they came back to my aunt and they said, Jory, we don't know how to tell you this, but you have cancer. And you will not live till the end of the year. Now you can imagine just the shock of that moment. And there are just so many emotions, just devastation. The last thing you would have expected, the last thing you would have wanted. And so we were going through this crazy emotional roller coaster with my aunt and this news. And yet there was an interesting moment in this whole process. Because you could see when my aunt took her cancer and this death sentence, and she put it on the scale against this eternal glory that Paul talks about. And you could see it changing just her attitude towards her situation. And I still remember a phone call I had with her. It was December of that year. And you know, you just like remember these memories so clearly. You have some of those in your life. Like I remember this like it was yesterday. I called up my Auntie Jory and I just said, hey, how are you doing? You know, how are you feeling? We're doing the whole thing. And it was the most vulnerable, honest moment I have ever had with my aunt. And these were her exact words. She said, Brian, I don't want to die. But I know that this is not the end. She said, I know it's not the end. And a week later, with overflowing amounts of joy and expectation and hope, she passed into that eternal glory that Paul talked about. Now, what is so incredible to me about my aunt's experience is that even cancer and death was merely a momentary inconvenience when she compared it to the eternal glory that she was looking ahead to. It was just a minor, temporary, light weight when she waited against God's promises in her life. And so you need to hear me today. Some of you, you need to stand on the scale today. You need to weigh your life against what God says he has for you. And you need to hear me. When you do that, when you weigh your problems and your hardships against what God wants you to put on the scale, hear me, the scale may break, but you won't. You will not be broken. God will provide the perseverance. He'll provide the power, the hope, and the joy, and the expectation for you to endure and persevere through anything. So some of you today, you got to step on the scale. You got to start weighing some stuff. You actually might be happy about the numbers you see. There's hope in this thing. Nothing can outweigh what God has for you on the other side of any light and momentary trouble he's talking about. Step on the scale. 
Step on the scale. What do you have on the other side of your scale? Paul says there's an eternal glory. You need a weight against that. Let me do one more, though. We'll tie this thing up. Last thing Paul challenges us with is fix your focus. Let's go to verse 18. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now you just stop there. You're like, okay, Paul, this sounds like a contradiction, right? It's very counterintuitive. I use my eyes to look at stuff, all right? It's meant to see things that can be seen. So like, what is Paul even getting at when he talks about this idea? Now, there's this character in the biblical narrative. He probably wouldn't sound familiar to you just hearing it. This, guy, this guy's name was Gehazi. Now, if you don't know Gehazi, he was the assistant to the famous prophet Elisha in the Bible. Okay, so these guys work together. And at one moment, they have an interesting experience, to say the least. They are surrounded by an enemy nation's army. that are coming specifically to kill them. All right, that's not a good day, in case you're wondering. This is a rough moment. So there's thousands of soldiers. This thing is looking bad. It is certain death for Gehazi and Elisha. And so he's freaking out. And look what Elisha says to him in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 16. This is Elisha. He says, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. To which Gehazi's like, Elisha, you might be good at theology, but you are not good at math. All right? Two is less than thousands, in case you're wondering. This doesn't exactly work out the way you're talking. And then you look, though, at how Elisha responds in verse 17. Open his eyes, Lord so that he may see. And in this moment, God opens Gehazi's eyes to an entire reality that he was not even perceiving, and they are surrounded by a multitude of horses and chariots of fire, and God provides this miraculous deliverance for both of them, completely saving their lives. And some of you, you need here today, there are moments in life when you feel totally surrounded, it's over. You're like, there's no way I'm getting out of this thing unscathed. Like, this may be the end of the life that I ever hoped for. And yet, Paul says, you need to open your eyes. You need to see the more substantial reality that is right in front of you. You have to understand, everybody, there's chapters to this book you haven't read. There's scenes to this movie you haven't yet watched. You can't focus on what's immediately in front of you. You need to focus on what is eternally ahead of you. That is the challenge we have for Paul. Fix your focus. You need to see that there is a God who is surrounding you with his very power and presence every single day. There is a God who is moving you towards his plans and purposes, and nothing can thwart them in your life. This is the reality that Paul says you have to fix your focus on. You need to start seeing it. It needs to be where your eyes are centered. So I have to ask some of us today, what are your eyes fixed on? What is just consuming your attention right now? The, just even based on the conversations, I know some of us in here, you're, all of your energy, all of your stress, it is just consumed by the family dynamics of your life right now. And the weight of that is so heavy to you. And all of your attention is on it. Some people here, it is career for you. It's just your job stuff, the drama of it. 
you clock out, but your brain doesn't clock out. Everything is about that. Some of us, it is, again, that thing right now in your life. It is the challenge, the circumstance, the health deal. All of us, we have things that we just tend to fixate on. And all of our focus goes on it. And it becomes a sap to our very souls and causes us to lose heart. You have to understand, though, this is what Paul is talking about. The things right in front of you, they are going to evaporate like a mist. They are that temporary. And Paul says there is a rock-solid, substantial, eternal reality that is all around you and working into eternity itself, and that is what you need to fix your eyes on. Now, when I was in high school, I, uh, I ran cross-country. Now, I should correct myself there. I ran one year of cross-country in high school. <laughs> now, anybody who's tried running before, you know this is the most ridiculous sport on planet Earth. There's no ball to chase. There's nothing to throw. You're just running. That's all you're doing. And some of you guys, you pay money to do this. You're crazy. What is wrong with you, all right? It's a messed up sport. But when I was running cross-country, what's interesting about cross-country is you don't run around a track. A track, you know the laps, you can see the whole thing. In cross-country, you run a 5K, typically 3.1 miles, and you would go to these courses, and you'd be running all through the woods and fields and everything, and almost every time, you had no idea where the finish line was. Like, nobody ever showed you. Nobody walked you up and said, hey, this is where you're going. No, you just had some random race official who was like, uh, just follow the flags and run through the woods and over the lake, and you'll get there at some point. And you're just hoping that they're telling the truth. And when that gun goes off, all of your faith is in the fact that somewhere out there on the other side of the woods is some finish line that you're going to cross. And when that gun goes off, all of your focus goes straight to that finish line. Your entire existence is based on getting across that. And when Paul says to fix your eyes on what is eternal, he knows something. He knows that perspective produces perseverance. That's good. He knows when you have the right perspective, it will produce perseverance in your life. When you understand that there is a finish line to your faith that will pass into eternity, you realize, oh, this three-mile run of life, this is a lot shorter than what God has planned ahead. I can get through this. I know I'm going to get to the end of this thing. So when you face those seemingly impossible, exhausting situations of life, you can be honest and say, you know what? I just want to vomit right now. This thing is beating me up. I hate this. This is no fun. But, but, this is what I know. I'm going to fix my focus on what is ahead, what is promised, what is eternal, what will last, because that is what truly matters, and that is what will produce perseverance in my life to step into the promises of God, his eternal glory. That is what he promises in your life. Thank you for the clap over there. Appreciate that. I want you to be encouraged. Some of you need to be encouraged today. This is not just hype. This is the word of God. This is truth. Paul says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Now, let me save you three years of seminary right now. Anytime you see a therefore in the Bible, you have to see what it's there for. 
If you didn't get that, just ask the person next to you after church, all right? They'll explain it to you. Whenever Paul says, therefore, he's saying that as a result of something. Why is he ultimately able to say, we do not lose heart? What gives him such confidence to say something as audacious as that? Well, actually, this whole statement stems from verse 14, where Paul says, we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. You know why we can have such joy as followers of Jesus? You know why we can be encouraged no matter what we face? You know why we can have such hope in the face of what feels like weighty trials? You know why you never have to lose heart and give up? Because here's the thing. God did not just do a hard thing and pull a stuffed animal out of a machine. He did an impossible thing and pulled Jesus out of the grave. That's a good spot to get excited. You need to understand there is one moment in history that changes everything. And Paul is saying the reason you can have such confidence, the reason you can be encouraged is because Jesus is alive. That he conquered death itself. And if that is true, is there anything God can't do? There is absolutely nothing. Which means he can give you the strength you need. He can help you get through that situation. It means he is going to work a transformation process in your life. It means he is going to give you the hope to face whatever trial there is. He is going to get you where he wants you to be. And he will even, just like he did with Jesus, raise you as well. That is the promise we have from God. It's a short race, everybody. There is a finish line. And it is an eternal glory beyond anything we could imagine. But Paul says, we know. We know these things. He didn't say we're just hoping that this might happen. He's not saying we're wondering or pontificating about this. He says, we know. How can Paul speak with such certainty? How can he know without a doubt that this is something he could look forward to along with anybody else? Well, again, if you don't know Paul's story, he had an encounter with Jesus himself. He was a guy who was persecuting Christians. He hated the Jesus movement, and yet he had an experience of the living, real God that completely transformed his entire life. So he could say, we know. Now, my Auntie Jory, she knew. She was able to say on her very deathbed, I know. So I'm asking you today, do you know? Do you know the reality of Jesus? Do you know the reality of his resurrection? Do you know the reality of his presence and power in your life? Do you have any experience of the living God working in and through you? Now, some of us in here, you may know it already, but you need a reminder. You need to be reminded of this amazing promise we have that you can walk in certainty of the love of God and his resurrection. But I know there's some of us in here today, if you were really honest, you would say, you know, Brian, I don't know that. I mean, this stuff sounds good, but I am not having a personal experience of it myself. I don't have that deep sense of God's presence in my life. I don't sense him pressing in and working in me. I don't have the hope of that eternal glory that he's talking about. And I'm telling you, today, you can know. You can have an experience with a living God. 
You can know Jesus personally yourself. You can know just like Paul and just like my Auntie Jory. And you can walk in an encouragement and power that you never knew was available or possible. And I would encourage you that you do that today. That you leave here knowing Jesus. And I'm telling you, you will be encouraged and so much more. Will you all pray with me? Lord, sometimes when I read these passages, they almost sound too good to be true. But because Jesus has been raised from the dead, we know these are too good not to be true. Jesus, that you are alive and well, that you have defeated death. And ultimately, that is why we do not lose heart with whatever we face in this life. When we weigh it against your promises and your eternal glory, Lord, this truly is light and momentary. This is a mist of what is ahead. I want to pray specifically for those in our church, Lord, who are heavy under the troubles of this life, who are feeling the weight of the things we face. I pray today, Lord, that you would just lighten their load with this hope, that they would be encouraged in this truth, and that they would be able to fix their eyes on what is ahead, what is eternal, Lord. I pray for all of us in here that would call ourselves Christians and followers of Jesus, that we can be a witness to this hope in the world, Lord, that we can go out and really live this and people would see it in our lives, this amazing hope we have, this supernatural encouragement. And right now, as we pray, if you are here and you would say, you know what, Brian? I do not know Jesus like the way you were describing. I don't know him like the way Paul talked about. I don't even know him like your Auntie Jory did. I'm telling you, you can know him right now. He wants to know you. And even in this moment, you can reach out to him in your heart and mind and just reach out with whatever thoughts and prayers come to mind. You say, Jesus, I want you in my life. I want to know you. I want your salvation. I want your hope. I want your forgiveness. Come into my life, Lord. Transform me. Give me your plans. Give me your purposes. And Lord, I pray over everyone reaching out to you now that they would have their own real encounter with Jesus so they could know without a doubt that they do not have to lose heart, but you are with them every step of the way. And Lord, I pray that we would be encouraged. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Everybody said, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. If you would like to learn more about Northern Hills, you can go to nhills.org. You can also follow us online on Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram for more updates and events. We look forward to seeing you next week.